0: Are you thinking about buying a franchise? How about buying an existing business for sale? Unsure where to start? This is Patrick Fedaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz. To date, we've advised hundreds of clients to invest in a franchise or business for sale in the United States. We'll be sharing best practices, as long as with our guests, top franchisors, attorneys, and accountants to help you find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for your, you and your family's financial success. Stay tuned for this following podcast and follow our series if you're interested in learning more about exciting business opportunities and best practices to find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for sale. Today, I'm very excited to have on a very special guest, Courtney Hutchinson, who's a franchise attorney based in Naples, Florida. We've had multiple clients uh, engage her services and work with her to do everything that's legal related for franchising and including incorporating the business, etc. She works with clients nationally um, on franchise law. Uh, so we met; I think it was like four years ago at a, a franchise executive roundtable here in, in Miami, Florida. At the time, she was working at a pretty large, um, I think one of the more one of the premier franchise um, law firms in the country here in Miami. Um, and then we reconnected maybe two years ago and she started really working closer with our, our clients at Visa franchise on everything that's franchise, uh, law related. And again, on the, on the business, uh, incorporation and some other types of business and, and, corporate law. Um, so I, I'll bring her on in a second, but I just want to give a further introduction. She grew up in the franchise space. So her parents have owned multiple restaurants and, and, or sorry, multiple retail businesses, including uh, 7-Eleven. So she grew up behind the cash counter and she knows how it is to, to be a franchisee is that's what her parents were doing. Her mom and dad uh, ran a 7-Eleven. They ran other businesses. Um, so she understands from a much more practical standpoint than many franchise attorneys and franchise lawyers how the dynamic is in terms of the initial and then ongoing relationship with these french the with the franchisor so whether that's before signing a franchise agreement the first 5 years or 10 year initial term or through their renew- renewal cycle her and her family have lived that so it's not every day that you get lawyers that have deep practical experience, um, on the client side of what their, their clients are going to be doing and, and are actively doing. And I think growing up in that environment has really propelled her, uh, to really be able to relate with our clients and give real practical knowledge, um, in terms of what it is like to buy a franchise, own a franchise, operate a franchise, sell a franchise. And, really from a a legal standpoint. Um, So again, uh, this is Patrick Fandaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz and Visa Franchise. Very excited to bring on Courtney Hutchinson. Um, Again, a franchise attorney based in Naples, Florida, who represents clients throughout the United States on all types of franchise legal matters. Um, I'm about to bring on Courtney Hutchinson.
1: Hi, Patrick. Thank you for having me.
0: No. Yeah, thanks for for joining and um let's kick it off. I give a brief intro, but we'd love to hear more about what what drove you to become a franchise attorney and a little bit of your background.
1: Yeah, well, I know it's probably not uh the most common kind of law to go into, but essentially, like you said, I grew up in the franchise business and works behind the counters of all of my parents' stores and not only just behind the counters, but help them manage their uh, multi-unit franchise businesses and all the things related to that. And so when I went to college, I was still working and involved in all of those uh, aspects of their business. And then when I got into law school, I was still employed doing the same things for those businesses and figured hey what a great way to take my firsthand knowledge and all of this stuff that I've learned over the years and help other people with it especially since you know the franchisee franchisor relationship is largely one sided and leaves franchisees with little recourse you know knowing those ins and outs of how to deal with franchisors and what to expect has really been invaluable to my clients. So that's kind of how I got interested in franchising and franchise law. And uh, I still enjoy it to this day. So
0: that's great. And, you know, tell me, someone, uh, someone that's looking to buy a franchise, and and maybe they're in the initial stages, but they want to own they want to basically sign a franchise agreement open up a franchise in the next year. Whether they're working with Visa franchise or on their own, what should they do from a legal process in the beginning? So the process, so so they don't stall their plans of opening up a franchise.
1: Uh, it's a good question. Good question. So the number one thing that I tell my clients is you need to establish a business entity, which will be the executing party of the franchise agreement meaning that you should establish an LLC or a corporation that is going to act as the party to the franchise agreement. Uh, So if you're opening a franchise in the state of Florida, you're investing in a franchise in the state of Florida, you need to get an attorney or uh, to file your articles of organization for an LLC or articles of incorporation for a a corporation and get that process started as soon as possible. And then another crucial aspect of this is getting your employer identification number from the IRS. Uh, Due to COVID, there are a lot of delays currently in processing and issuing EIN numbers, especially for foreign nationals. What used to take four days for the IRS to do is now taking seven to 10 weeks and beyond. So getting your LLC formed, getting your EIN, your EIN is important because you cannot open a business bank account without it. Uh, Do those things. Before you invest in your franchise, before you sign that franchise agreement, and you really want all those franchise fees to go ahead and be funneled through that LLC, if at all possible. So those are some of the main things that I say, you know, that's what you need to do from a setting up perspective, from a legal perspective. And then, of course, you know, have a franchise attorney review your franchise documents. You don't want to go into these franchise relationships blind, Uh, could have some material repercussions.
0: Well said. And I imagine a lot of people are thinking, you know, I can just go online and, and open up a business and, you know, what, maybe 70% like they do it. But if there's a dispute or if there's they did something wrong, then it can really cost them a lot of money later on.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, especially like here in the state of Florida and like in most other states, you have to have certain documentation. You have to have certain things that are in place before you can even file these documents with, uh, with the government, you know, you have to have someone within the state that's going to be there to receive all your legal notices. So you have to establish that relationship. And oftentimes attorneys will act in that capacity on, uh, on your behalf. So it's always good to reach out to an attorney to facilitate that process for you.
0: That makes sense. And especially in this world where people are working remote, traveling, you know, they're not maybe at the same place and they're working remote. It's good to have an attorney and receive that information. So God forbid there is a legal situation and notice they can act fast.
1: Absolutely.
0: And you mentioned franchise disclosure document, franchise agreement. What's the purpose of a franchise disclosure document also known as an FDD?
1: Yes. Well, an FDD under federal law is re- the franchisor is required to provide a prospective franchisee with what is a franchise disclosure document, FDD. And the purpose of this essentially is to protect the interests of the prospective franchisee. The FDD contains about 23 informational disclosure items, and these items are designed to educate a prospective franchisee on the franchisor, their system of operation, and whether the program agreement offered is well-established and generally profitable, or at times you find that it's unproven and risky. So it's really, really important to Review this FDD. Any FDD from a franchisor, Um, you need to know their business experience. You need to know if they're in any kind of litigation. Um, You know whether it's initiated by franchisees or the government. um, You know that's kind. That's good information that you need to take into into consideration before you before you invest. Some other things that are really important when considering if you're going to enter into a franchise relationship is to look at, you know, the territory. And this is also, all of this is outlined in the FDD, Um, you know, your dispute resolution uh, provisions. And also, most importantly, is this is what I always say, the financials of the franchisor. You want to look to see if the franchisor is Is liquid enough, is profitable enough to provide you competent support throughout the franchise relationship. And you need to assess whether the profitability of the current franchisees within the system warrant an investment in that particular program. So, you know, a a thorough review of an FDD is a must do before you enter into a franchise relationship.
0: Yeah, and yeah. you'd be surprised. I mean, we look initially and in, from more of like a, a non-legal perspective at these mm-hmm. franchisors' P&Ls and balance sheets, and there's been some like franchise fraud where the franchisor had like their Porsche Cayenne on the the balance sheet <laughs> and looking at franchise fees collected of fifteen million, but only a hundred k of royalties or nothing of royalties, so. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We'll look at yeah. some of these things from like an economic perspective and business case perspective. And then obviously Courtney's complementing that with like, what does the territory mean? And what more from a legal basis, which is not our forte. We're not attorneys, so.
1: Very well said. Yes, that, that is very true. I, I also have seen some, some shady things happening in uh, these franchise disclosure documents. So it's, it's essential to, to, a wealth of knowledge.
0: you know, we've, we've data mined now, I think 5,000 plus franchise disclosure documents representing wow. like 1800 brands. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's on our site vetted biz and we take a lot of the key metrics out and um, but yeah, it's like a 200 to 500 page document where we're taking out the data points, but there's also yeah. all this legal language that I don't fully understand. And you got to yeah. complement it from, you got to complement the data with uh, the legal expertise. of well, Yeah,
1: well, you know, exactly. And, and not only just the legal aspect of it, but, you know, being that I have been involved in the franchise business for so many years and I see the practical application of what these Agreement terms actually mean, um, you know, in the day-to-day operation. So you might look at a section and go, "Okay, the franchisor they're going to require me to only use approved vendors, right?" Okay, no big deal. However, you know, there could arise major issues in what if there's a shortage in the supply of that vendor? You know, then your store suffers. And you know, I've
0: seen some franchisors have like a crazy um uh, vendor vetting fee. Thousands yes. of dollars anytime they you bring them a vendor or another franchisee brings them a vendor and it's just like yep. another fee that you gotta pay.
1: Yeah, and those and those are things that you wanna take a look at and you might want to consider, you know, adding as a, a negotiation point in the future.
0: Beyond the royalties of the franchisor, we really want to make it very clean for our clients to understand like what, how the franchisor is making money, and ideally, it's much more royalties, and then yes. franchise fee just to cover some expenses. But are they legally liable to disclose how they're making money in the franchisor franchisee relationship?
1: Yes, yes, all fees in the FDD all fees are outlined. So your initial franchise fee is outlined, and that is the fee that you're going to pay upfront at the time of your the execution of your franchise agreement. But not only that, the FDD also discusses the ongoing fees. So royalty fees, marketing fees, um, licensing fees, you know, any other fee that, as an as a matter of an ongoing concern, you are going to be responsible for paying. Um, most of the royalty fees are going to be based on a percentage of your sales. However, there are some franchisors that pr- they require a set royalty fee. So, that a minimum means royalty, for, yeah, or a minimum royalty fee. So, regardless of if you're making money you're still paying, you know, that set minimum royalty fee. And um, also, you know, you want to take into consideration any fees that the friend or not fees, but income that the franchisor will realize as a result of the relationship with the vendors. So things what we would consider as kickbacks yeah. and Things like that, you know. In your know? experience,
0: so, like what percent of franchisors are clean and they're really passing the cost savings all on to the franchisee, and they're well, not getting any kickbacks? What well, do you see? Is uh, that the is that the minority majority?
1: I would I would say in the larger franchise systems, you you definitely do not get any of. Uh, Help there from the franchisor. Okay. They're not with passing
0: the, on the savings necessarily to the franchise. No,
1: no, 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 not at all. They have established relationships in place, and those established relationships are there for a reason. Wow. Um, but with the smaller, Mom and pop kind of franchise or systems or startups, uh, you you will find you will find that they're still trying to maneuver all of that. So those relationships aren't as set in stone as the other ones. So um, you're going to get a little more of a fair deal as far as that. Probably goes different
0: to. too, like uh, a franchise system that's owned by a private equity group or is traded publicly. They're yeah. they're in the their interest is to make money and give the dividends back to the shareholders. And oh yes. the Private equity group wants to bring up their EBITDA before they sell it in five years. Where these founder led systems, they seem a little more reasonable, and and uh, they want to be around for the next twenty years. And
1: mm-hmm. exactly, you know, and with those large franchisors you know, they're they're smart, right? They have teams of attorneys and, you know, they spend considerable time, money and effort into into forming these franchise systems. And so a lot of times, you know, whatever the franchisee requires under the franchise agreement, well, they're going to set up a company for that, you know, so they are going to derive as much profit as possible from the relationship. And I mean, that's just that's just how it goes, but... I've heard the crazy
0: (laughs) kickbacks just like all the way down to like running, like leasing cars and just like, and it's crazy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So getting back, I guess um, there's a franchise disclosure document and then the franchise agreement. Like what's the difference? What are the key points of the franchise agreement?
1: Okay. So the franchise agreement is essentially well, it's also disclosed in the FDD. It's one of the exhibits or attachments to the FDD that the franchisor must disclose to the franchisee before the franchisee makes the investment. The franchise agreement itself is basically taking all of those items that are disclosed in the FDD and condensing them down into agreement form. And the franchise agreement. The most important things that I look for, and that I would say most franchise attorneys look at when they are reviewing franchise agreements, um, I would deem to say there are about 10 of the most important. One, the training and support from the franchisor, right? So what kind of training is the franchisor going to give the franchisees? Uh, what are going to be the ongoing support obligations from the franchisor and what are the pre-opening obligations from the franchisor, you know, is the franchisor going to help you obtain all of your licenses? Is the franchisor going to uh, promote your business and um, facilitate a grand opening? Is the franchisor going to provide uh, billing systems and things like that, that kind of institutional support? So that's a major category of what is considered under the franchise agreement. The next one would be I would an assigned territory or an exclusive territory. That's a big component of franchise agreement review. You need to know if when you buy this franchise, if you are going to be afforded a territory that is worth investing in, and if that territory is going to be exclusive, and um, you know, other disputes often arise around this, this particular topic, and you know, we can discuss that at, in greater length at another time. But uh, that's also another thing that you know we want to take into consideration: the duration of the franchise agreement, um, the franchise fee, and the estimated costs of uh, initially and going forward. Trademark patent signage issues always a hot topic royalties um, how those are calculated is a big is a is a matter that you really want to have a good understanding of because it's not just gross sales it's how gross sales is defined right So you know you need to have your attorney really delineate that for you advertising and marketing that the franchisor provides and of which the franchisee is required to pay fees to the franchisor. A lot of times these are local marketing fees, cooperative marketing fees, you know, the list goes on and on. There's several levels of marketing fees that a franchisee might be required to pay. Um, Operating protocols, another big issue. So, you know, there are and then renewal rights and uh, termination clauses and all of that. So you need to know how to run your business, what the franchisor expects from you. And as well, you need to know what happens at the end of this franchise relationship, at the end of the term of this franchise agreement. What if I want to renew? What do I have to do? Or you know what, what if I don't really want to do this anymore? You know, how do I get out? So these are all issues that when you are having someone look at your franchise documents, these need to be covered.
0: Well said, and and just expanding, you know, on some of these points, a lot of these, like the the franchise fee amount, the royalty amount, um, it's non-negotiable. Could you go through some of the points that are generally negotiable as well as other ones that um, are just, you know, a hard stand by the franchise or...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as we know, franchise agreements, they tend to strongly favor the franchisor. Um, Even after they're fully negotiated by an attorney, uh, some franchise agreements are still unfair or one-sided. So, you know, you really need to have an attorney look at that and say, all right, this is what can be negotiated. This is what cannot be negotiated. As far as the negotiable points, in my experience, the term of the franchise agreement is largely negotiable. The assigned territory or the exclusivity of the assigned territory is negotiable. Manner and timing of payment of the initial fees Assignment and transfer rights, um, cure periods, meaning periods of time that you have under the franchise agreement to fix certain defaults or breaches once notified by the franchisor, um, and then post termination non competes are are highly negotiable. So, uh, you know, you can negotiate. All right, once I end this franchise, once I end this business, I want to open a competing business within ten miles of. This pre existing business, but I agreed not to do it for one year. You know, you can go to the franchisor and try to haggle with them on, on those points. Uh, recently, we had a client that was looking to invest in a smaller franchise system and was concerned about two items primarily uh, initial fees, the amount of the initial fees, and the ass- assigned territory. So the franchisor, being that they were smaller, I'm not saying that just only small franchisors will consider doing this, but size does have something to do with it at times. Well, it's
0: probably you're you're negotiating with the owner. Yeah. And it's usually one or two people, family-owned business, there's two partners, and they make a decision.
1: Yeah, exactly. Instead of this you know, crazy complex corporate structure, you know, where you're having to send it to this department and then that department. And, you know, so they
0: they want to sell the franchise system in three years. And if they have changes in the franchise agreements across their different franchisees, it won't be valued as much.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So recently we had that client concerned about those initial fees, concerned about that assigned territory, Franchisor was willing to come to the table. Came to the table, and we were able to negotiate an addendum to the franchise agreement, which addressed these matters. And the client actually ended up paying less than in initial fees, received a credit against future royalties for a fee that he was required to pay by the franchisor, and the franchisor provided to uh, a promise to provide him with a larger and exclusive territory. Um so there are major benefits to knowing what can be negotiated and what cannot. Uh however, the non-negotiable points pretty much anything that goes to the core I would say of the franchisor's system or that endangers its trademarks is something that's going to be non-negotiable out the gate. Um, you know, s- things such as overall business processes, uh, control over the brand, um, and things that impact their recurring revenues. So you know, things that, you know, we were just talking about royalty fees, uh, trademark protections, dispute resolution, and indemnification provisions, you know, they're never they're never gonna slide on those. and approved suppliers. I have yet to see a, a modification of a franchise agreement mm. or an addendum include a provision for approved suppliers. So, um, you know, just think, you know, what's not negotiable? Anything that's going to cause the franchisor financial harm and it's going to essentially lessen its protections under the law.
0: Okay, well said. Um and then so you've I mean, what, you've worked with your parents for 10 15 years. So you probably yeah. saw a lot of things and they probably had friends that were franchisees of 7-Eleven or other brands. But like what are some of the common disputes you've seen between the franchisor and the franchisee?
1: Well, the most common probably not the most alarming, but the <laughs> the most the most common are claims Uh, by franchisees that franchisors are not providing adequate support. This is across the board the most common. Now, this is pretty broad, right? So um, I will take it down to one issue that is highly litigated. It's the issue of marketing fees and marketing support. So when you enter into a franchise agreement, most likely you're going to have to pay marketing fees and several levels of marketing fees. You're probably going to have to pay a local marketing fee. You're probably going to have to pay a cooperative fund marketing fee, meaning a marketing fee that doesn't just benefit your region, but the entire system. So there are a lot of disputes surrounding this concept uh, because franchisees, you know, they want they want the franchisor's marketing efforts to directly benefit their businesses. Well, the franchisor is not so concerned with that singular business or that singular franchise. They are concerned with the ongoing success of the entire brand. So, you know, if one or two stores doesn't do all right, well, then, you know, that's fine to the franchisor. Well, the franchisee, of course, uh, you know, doesn't agree with that. So oftentimes franchisees will go to franchisors and say, Hey, you know, I'm not benefiting from your, from your marketing, uh, programs. You know, can you, can you help me out? And the franchisor usually will respond back and lean on, you know, their the very narrow language that's contained in the franchise agreement and say, well, if you look at the franchise agreement, how we allocate the funds of these marketing fees, are in our sole discretion. So then a legal dispute erupts. You and navigate that's
0: very- like, because like, once you got a lawyer involved, the lawyers involved, like, how are they, like, how do you continue the relationship? Or does the relationship dissolve? Because like, you're in daily, if not every other day, contact with a franchise or many franchisors provide training, like, They're going to be pretty bitter if you just got a lawyer involved and uh, you're suing.
1: Well, and that's that's actually a really good point. Uh, You know, it depends on what lawyer you get involved. Uh, For example, the you know, one of the firms I worked for in the past, they are they were very aggressive. Right. By the time you called them in, you were you were ready to go to battle. Um, But can you act behind
0: the scenes? Like, are you, you, are you kind of like a trusted advisor of the client where, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, what do I do?
1: Absolutely. You know, and a lot of the times it a soft handed approach is better yeah. because essentially, you know, you're their you mutual want to keep the relationship is to keep the relationship. Right. It's better for the franchisor and it's better for the franchisee. So if at all possible, you know, let's, let's try to massage the relationship. Let's try to, you know, go to the or and get, just give them a little friendly nudge, you know, just, Hey, you know, we're here, we're needing this. This is what you should be doing, you know, act in good faith. And then if, you know, other issues arise, then, you know, you have to take a little more of an aggressive approach, but absolutely. There are many different ways to approach these matters. And there are many ways to approach these matters and still maintain a good working relationship
0: for sure i mean as a franchisee you've invested money but even more valuable is your time that you that's right. get back so that's that's right. to the extent that you can you know put out the fire before it even starts and and move yes. on through these disputes all the better and absolutely I mean, i'm very passionate, my brother and business partner, are colleagues with transparency and just getting the data out there for businesses for sale, franchises for sale. That's right. And I, I don't want to have people succeed in the U.S. and follow their passion and have a high level of success. Um, but the reality is, right now, a lot of people are swindled into investing in a franchise by a smooth sales guy and yep. through aggressive marketing campaigns and. And um, that's not good for anyone besides the the franchisor who's pocketing money. So yeah. there's some there's been legislative efforts, as you know, from Senator Catherine Cortez Mastro, Masto of, of Nevada, proposal le- legislation on, on further transparency, particularly mm-hmm. in the in the franchise space, as well as would be franchisees uh, requesting financing through the SBA 7a loan program, yeah. uh, which has financed. Thousands of franchises, over 2,000 brands, 50,000 plus loans, and just having a greater degree of transparency. Um, so, curious to hear from you, and you know, in light of this legislation, what efforts do you think could be made to empower franchise buyers and then operators, once they already have the franchise, uh, to have more transparency and just a better working relationship with the, the franchisor and franchisee?
1: Absolutely. So you know, this legislation is is wonderful. You know, California for many years has really advocated for franchisees and greater uh, transparency on behalf on the on the part of the franchisors, but that that kind of sentiment has not really grown nationwide yet. Uh, ultimately, this would require the franchisors to be more transparent in their financial representations yes the franchisors are currently having to make financial representations within the fdd in their dis- under their disclosure requirements set forth by the federal trade commission however they ha- when it comes to their franchisees they are only having to estimate what the profits could be for the business, for the prospective business. With this legislation, um, you know, the franchisors are going to have to provide not only estimations, but average and medians of, you know, first year revenues for franchisees. Um, Also, they're going to have to provide financial projections for existing uh, financial information for existing franchisees and a deeper look into the franchisor's actual financials, their audited financials. So this legislation would be fantastic for franchisees and prospective franchisees.
0: We'll also make our job easier collecting the data and just saying, hey, yes. here, here are the facts. And so many people say, how much can I make? Well, you know, if they don't disclose the financials, you're going to have to talk to franchisees. So I think That's that would right. really clean it up. And the strong will survive and continue to grow. And, you know, there's no reason to have 10 plus cell phone repair franchises. There should be like two. Yeah. And there's other yeah. industries that probably some consolidation makes sense, you know, Absolutely. outside of food and beverage where there should just be a couple of franchisors, not uh, 20 kind of providing a similar type of uh, business yeah. and the best yeah. one should be able to expand, so.
1: Well, that's right. I mean, it, that's an equation for failure you know, right out, right out the gate. So um, when, what, what current franchisees and prospective franchisees can do to kind of take an active role is find franchise owners associations, Um, be involved in franchise owners associations. And the reason I say this is because franchise owners associations, either by brand or nationally, because there are national franchise owners associations where franchisees from all over the nation and sometimes all over the world get together and they make lobbying efforts to really spur these, these legislative changes and and that is paramount in changing how this franchise system, you know, this franchise structure in the United States works, Not just the United States, but internationally as well. Because, you know, to be honest, once we establish it, pretty much everywhere else follows behind. So um, but and that's just how it is in franchising. But get involved, get involved. Don't just say don't just throw your hands up and say, well, there's not much. Yeah, I can do, do something
0: right about it. If yeah, just, not right, and then,
1: say, yeah. Get out there, get out there, get involved and, um, you know, see what resources are available to you as a franchisee that will help you.
0: That's all said. And before we wrap up, we have a, a question from Miriam. Um, mm-hmm. she's interested in, to start a new business in the U S moving and investing there. Uh, her question is, is a small non-franchise business worth the risk? And I think you're pretty well um, suited to answer this, given your parents have had both franchise and non-franchise businesses. Um, Love to hear your reply.
1: So a a non-franchise business, it definitely has its own set of risks as as opposed to a franchise business with a more established franchisor. Um, However, the good thing about a non-franchise business is that you can operate it the way that you know, you see fit. You're not um you're not having to operate it pursuant to the wishes of another party. Now depending on the business, you know, it all depends. Is it is it the kind of business that is just kind of going to sink? Because there's a lot of of other businesses that are similar to that one in the area, you really have to think about what kind of business you are going to be establishing and whether it's going to provide something uh, to the community and where you're going to establish it that is needed. So, and if it is, if it's something that's unique or something that there's just a demand for, definitely there are advantages to a non franchised uh, business.
0: Yeah, a lot more flexibility. And, um, you know, talking from personal experience, and it seems like Courtney as well, um, a lot of people that are starting businesses, they're starting the business in the same industry and building upon the relationships they've already built and the expertise they've already built. Um, so my, when my brother and I started Visa Franchise nearly six years ago, I was working at a fund that would lend money to franchisees. Um, and we had four nationals investing in that fund. And my brother, Jack, was working at uh, the parent company of Burger King. So they own Burger King, Tim Hortons and, and Popeye's now. So we had a pretty good experience. We had great relationships. And with that, we were able to get uh, money in basically from the first month we opened where if we didn't have those relationships, it probably would have taken another year, two years to really hit our stride yeah. where we were constantly earning money month over month and not going too much into the to the red. So it seems, Absolutely. Part, Courtney, I don't know, I'm curious to hear your two cents, but I think startup makes a lot of sense if you already have that kind of set and you know what you're That's getting great. into. But if not, you know, franchise could be could be good.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean... You know, I, I I started out at a previous firm in Miami, like you were saying earlier, and I established a bunch of relationships that ultimately allowed me to branch off on my own and continue uh, representing my clients. But without that, it would have been considerably more difficult um, And any business. And that's, that's the case with any business. So if you have relationships, if there's a demand for it in the market, Um, definitely it's a good, you know, it could be a good thing, but if you don't have those things, having that franchise system to to lean on will definitely help until you are able to establish those relationships and, you know, kind of make your own way with a non-franchise business.
0: And as Miriam's outside the U.S. and a lot of our clients from Visa franchise are investing to obtain their E2 Visa with a startup business. In two years, you're gonna know it. it's either going really, really well or it basically failed. So you're gonna That's have right. to close it. If it's going really, really well, though, you might sell it. Yeah. And then you don't have the visa anymore. Or yeah. maybe your partner wants to sell it because a bigger firm approached you and you're growing crazy fast. Mm-hmm. So we've had that happen where someone starts with the E2 visa with a startup. Um, and depending how it's structured uh, with the, the, fran- the, the the corporate attorney at the time and the immigration attorney, you might have to start a new E2 visa petition or it could be under the old one, but those are all things and points to to discuss. And uh, yeah, you can always do the startup first and then move into a franchise or, Mm -hmm. you know, work with Courtney and then your immigration attorney and see a structure that makes sense where, you know, you have a fair degree of flexibility to, you know, buy a business, start a business, start a franchise. So there's a lot of Absolutely. options and I think if you have the right advisors from day one, um, you can do whatever is best for you.
1: Yeah. 100%. 100%. And the good thing about a franchise other than just being able to lean on their brand and use their, their systems is that, of that term of that franchise agreement, you know that for your E2 visa purposes, you know, you have at least that, that term before you got to think about it again. So You know, there are advantages for sure for a franchise uh, business in that context.
0: Cool. Well, Courtney, it was a pleasure to have you on. Is it okay if I share the link GoHutchLaw.com, contact us for people that want to schedule a consultation with yourself?
1: Absolutely. And anyone that uh, contacts us, you know, the the first consultation is complimentary and then uh, we can address any other issues that you have during that time.
0: Perfect. Well, Courtney, thanks again for all the work you've done on behalf of our clients, and I'm sure we'll have many future cases together. And uh, it was really a pleasure to have you on.
1: Ah, uh, thank you very much, Patrick. It's been it's been great. Thank you so much.